Hi, this is Jordan. And I'm Brian. And you're listening to The Quality Varies. Hey, Brian. My man. And my other man. And my other man. We got somebody else on the show with us today. How are you? How are you? I'm hanging in. You know. Glad to have you. Friend of the show, Steven, is with us today. Steven, uh, how do we all how do we all know each other? Um, I don't know. Can I say? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we all went to rehab together. Yes. Except for Brian, who worked there. Brian went to rehab he, he many times. Went to rehab all the time. <laughs> he went to. Yeah. He was he was an all goer. He was a resident, yes. a true resident, a resident resident. Thing. Yeah. That's actually not yeah. a lie. Yeah. Did I sleep there a few times? Yes. Yeah, you were there <laughs> quite a lot. It was a, it is a weird thing. The days, and I totally do not envy you guys for those bad days when the schedule was just not good. And we would go to bed, and you would just be there, and then we'd wake up, and you'd be there. <laughs> yeah, those were the days, man. Good yeah. times. We, got, uh, we brought uh, Steven on because Steven just has all the things... Just just has all the insights on all the things, and uh, it's always it's always a pleasure when we start diving into topics, just you know in our own in our own times. And Stephen already ha- always has kind of a lot to share that I appreciate, and so I thought the uh, the audience might enjoy kind of hearing hearing some of that. Well, that's nice. It's kind of new to me to hear that I'm an interesting person to people. <laughs> well, now you know how we really feel. So. We really we hey, brought you on that. so we could uh, we that. could just solve all the world's problems. Oh well, uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I have a That's list of heavy. things that I have been asked to have you solve, and I need I need answers on all of these lines in the next four, uh, one oh, hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll get started then. <laughs> I don't know how many of you I can do. Uh, to get started, I mean, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? What takes what takes up a kind of a lot of your time, what's important to you that you uh, maybe like other people to know or you hope, uh, you hope other people know? Tell us a bit about yourself. So I got my family. I got a, <laughs> I got bills to pay now. Mm, um, indeed. Like real bills. I didn't use that real bills, but now oh, I got real, real bills. Good times. Let's see. It's weird. I like to deep dive on stuff. I just learn. I just learn things. So like whenever... Whenever I come to an issue that I'm encountering, say, oh, okay, we're, we're buying a water softener for the house. And I'll end up doing the deep dive on it. And for like four days, the only thing I'll ever look up on the internet is water softeners. Until I'm like down and totally figured out exactly the perfect one. That explains um, so much about you, Steven. That yeah, no, so I'm many a serious questions. optimizer. <laughs> this is... Uh, Yes, this is this is what comes out when we play dungeons together. Uh, on a scale from <laughs> one to ten, I am zero surprised that you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a deep diver. That's I think that's probably just the that's probably the way I describe myself. Yeah. Uh, I've seen um, a lot of videos that I am certain I never would have known existed because you sent me a link to. A, a three-cylinder motor that uh, that spins at ludicrous RPMs and has like zero lost energy. 
Do you remember that one? You know, like I actually can't pull up that exact <laughs> one in my head. I've, I've, <laughs> He's gone on too many deep dives in between. I've looked, now up, and I've then. looked up a lot so this of motors. Motor had three <laughs> cylinders, and the the pist they were all parallel to each other, like in a, a like a triangle cluster kind of, and the pistons just kind of rotated on this like this weird like oh dish yeah thing. yeah yeah and uh they put a they stood a nickel on its edge on the motor while it was running and the nickel stayed standing yes i remember that, that one now. yeah that, that was uh what is it duke motors yeah. in new zealand made yeah, that yeah, one yeah. that, that thing nuts. is so cool i never would have known about that so if you cool. didn't if you hadn't uh Going on a deep dive on three-cylinder motors. <laughs> I'm just like, man, that's like, that would be the lawnmower of this century. <laughs> oh just, my goodness! Like, like seriously, not not with that full size. Like, what was that? That was like a 1500 cc motor. Not not a lawnmower forest. motor, just a, a lawnmower motor that was gas powered that did not vibrate at all, yeah. and so your hands aren't like falling off by the time you're done with yeah. the yard. I know motorcycle riders have that problem sometimes too. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's an issue for sure. Or just like the hand, the hand is numb. Yeah. After a while, especially on a Harley, man, it just yeah. shakes your arms off. It literally, yeah. the Harley motors <laughs> literally shake themselves to pieces. That's like the number one issue that Harley Davidson motors have. Ooh, and that's why that's why the little. Well, they're not that little. That's why the Japanese motors have all the reliability stuff because they don't because they don't bounce, they don't rattle so hard. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. I didn't know until pretty recently that Ducatis were all V twins. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, which I love. Um, because it's like an Italian Harley, which is like, mm-hmm. if there was such a thing as a good, like a better Harley, that that would, I think that would be it. <laughs> hey, why not? <laughs> yeah. It's got that sound, oh, man. It's got the sound, and it's got the same. It's got that same feeling, you know that that soul of the machine. Mm-hmm. You know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the ghost in the machine. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long time since I've rode a motorcycle, and oh, I've yeah. already seemed to have forgotten. How's the frozen tundra of Idaho going for you? It's uh, it's going great. I uh, snowmobiles are a big thing up here. Wow. That's kind of like uh, people have motorcycles, but then they, for the wintertime, they pull out their snowmobiles. So I almost had the chance the other week to take a snowmobile up to a property for a client. Then the client, like they were there for us, like they had them oh, ready. Wow. Um, nice. And then the client decided that that wasn't necess- like that was going to be fun that one time, but they didn't want to necessarily deal with that every winter. Mm, yeah. So lame. Yeah. That's what I I, te- I texted that back to the client just lame with seven A's. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh or you could move to St. George and ride your motorcycle all year. Dude, do that. Uh I have several people that are moving from two of my active clients are from southern Utah and they're coming to Idaho. I'm like, yeah, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know? Yeah, I I actually, so I have never, uh, Desert Solace, the rehab center, it was in St. George, Utah. Yes. Where the both of you now reside. I had never heard of it before going there for rehab. 
And St. George has come up on a weekly basis, if not more, in my life after I left rehab. Like, it's, it's all of a sudden just a center of civilization, <laughs> it seems like. And it's so weird to me. Every time somebody mentions, they're like, yeah, I, I was doing work in St. George, or I had just got, you know, I, I, was, I was doing school in St. George, or I go down to St. George every summer. Like, none of this had ever come up at all. Had never heard the name before. It's it's been quite a it's been quite a surreal experience that like I don't know how to explain it. Sounds it's like a sign, strange. Jordan. Yeah, that after I've uprooted uh, myself and made massive uh, monetary and familial uh, commitments to one location, uh, give it about three months, and then I'm gonna do it all again for St. George. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just practice up in Idaho, and then you come do it for real in St. George. That's that's actually literally what I did. So <laughs> see, it can be done. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> I mean, not 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 in three months. I didn't do it in three months, but I definitely did do it. <laughs> Just at a slower pace than you. Uh, so where did you uproot to, and then from? And you came from California recently, but where did you? Where were you before then? Yeah, that's right. So before that, I was in Rexburg, which for the listeners is maybe what is it like 30 to 35 minutes away from idaho Falls? yeah something like that and uh yeah i was there for school i was there from 2013 and got married wrapped everything up in 2018 and uh yeah went to california i was there until june last year june july and st george was it from then on so nice i don't know it's, that's how i started <laughs> That's how I eventually got pulled into the vacuum of St. George. <laughs> I I can see it I can see it appearing in your life right now, Jordan. It is a vacuum. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Hey. Don't say it. I do I do want to be there on a regular basis. In two thousand thirteen I was starting my first job as a sixteen year old kid. So it's still strange to uh to to see those differences in time. Two thousand thirteen was a good year. Was it? Yeah. I got married in two thousand thirteen. That's strange. Yeah. I was also <laughs> a baby. <laughs> well, that's a different story. That's true, man. Uh, Stephen, um, what were you doing in California? Um, so that was just, well, that was kind of the the less successful part of the job search. I did eventually get a job there, which was great. Um, I was teaching programming to kids, like a after school program nice. for that. That was pretty dope. I liked everyone I worked with. I liked the kids. Yeah, just between them and your. I don't know. Lots changed and uh, just been a journey. <laughs> I don't know really how to describe that. That's just, it's just what it was. I just found my soul migrating here. Yeah. And, and so it happened. And what are you doing now? I work for a badge company. So we send people out to trade shows to do registration systems. And we rent scanners out to people in the exhibit hall so that they can just scan badges and... Uh, grab their leads that way instead of doing business cards or any of the you know a ton of signups or anything like that so yeah we just we just do that make make things convenient for exhibitors and for uh people that run big trade shows are you still kind of in the programming space or is this kind of, are you are you doing something completely different it's kind of weird i ended up being sort of an octopus in the company and so uh i've got i've got a tentacle in like every branch instead of uh instead of just being one part of it so Yo, i feel that we do actually have uh yeah that's that's just <laughs> that's just how i ended up being i was just the jack and so uh 
they put me in uh, I'm I'm working on the app right now I'm not actually doing any real programming on the app I'm just helping with the project and the testing arranging all that between the between everyone in the company and I'm a little bit on the account side now too with our show clients trying to uh, get them set up with their marketing and everything for our products so yeah kind of a I mean maybe not too much of an octopus I've got three tentacles so uh, kind of a maimed octopus <laughs> in the company nice. that's a nice thing to think about while you're doing your job is that you're a maimed octopus you're a, a triptopus <laughs> Yeah. Do you enjoy it? I mean, there is it go. something you, I can't imagine many kids would ever say when they're like 10, they're like, I want to be, I want to be an operator at a badge at a badge company. But, <laughs> uh, but do you enjoy it? Is it fulfilling? It's actually really great. Yeah. I enjoy the time there. I enjoy the people I work with. I uh, started there because my, my cousin recommended that I apply there. And so uh, I get to work with her. So she's, I don't know what you call her. She's like a sidestep she's like the sidestepped boss of me so that's okay. pretty that's pretty cool but interesting i don't know how that works yeah because since i'm since i'm in like a bunch of different areas of the company i don't really have like a boss boss except for the boss and so everyone there is just more experienced and helpful and stuff so it's nice reaching out to all of them but the only person I'm really responsible to is the guy at the top. Wow. I, I did not imagine myself doing this when I was a little kid, but uh, it is kind of cool. Uh, traveling is nice. It's not always amazing to be away from the family, right. but it's not uh, it's not too bad, and I get to keep all my miles. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't complain too much because it's, it's work. It does pay, so yeah. good. Is it stressful being beholden to the like the CEO of the company? Yeah, I would say it's 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 pretty stressful. I don't know. I'm not a. I'd say I'm not a very neurotic person. At least that's been observed. Um, I can. Uh, I can even <laughs> even without a, like an escape addiction or anything really holding me back. I've just never been that much of a that much of a neurotic. I'm not terribly sensitive to to high levels of stress. So that's that's a blessing and a and a curse too. It's both. It's not too bad. I actually do enjoy him. He's he's a pretty eccentric person. I think CEOs in general tend to be pretty eccentric. Yeah, they people. kind of tend toward that spectrum of personality. I think. Yeah, yeah. My last two companies have been fairly small companies, and both of them have had relatively eccentric people as CEOs that were both really cool people. So, yeah, the actual business end of stuff is it can get stressful. Right. But. It's not too bad. So you you taught programming, and you're kind of in a programming arm of the, the company that you're in now. Is that what you studied in college? You know, I ended up studying as kind of a jack in college, too. <laughs> I started out having applied as a computer science major, but then having gotten in to school in kind of that continuing ed program, so not really as a as a fully admitted student. But then kind of worked my way in to computer engineering. And then I had some pretty major life shift stuff happen. And I became an English major after that. <laughs> and then, yeah, I've, I've had some pretty crazy, pretty wide range of things that I did in college. After that, I eventually ended up talking to the school counselor. They basically told me, hey, dude. You're basically reaching the maximum level of credits 
So uh, you got to get a degree or we're going to have to kick you out for having too many credits. <laughs> too many credits. And so, I don't think I've ever had that conversation with anybody ever. <laughs> it's always been the minimum. What is the minimum yeah. that I need? Yeah. How how many more do I need till I can leave? Yeah. Yeah. My minimum was uh, 120, and I guess the max is somewhere around 140, 145, something like that. Oh, okay. They were like, "Well, you uh, you're getting too close to the max." And uh, yeah, since I had transferred, I I didn't really have a major that everything that I had done applied to. Mm. And so I ended up getting just a university studies major or a university studies degree. Um, also, something which I is did just not know the, existed. Oh yeah, uh, just take all of your uh, take all of your credits and throw them together into one thing, <laughs> and you end up with the uh, well, you end up with an octopus. So there, <laughs> there you go. go. Well, <laughs> I've known you for I've known you for a number of years now. And I've never really been clear about what you studied in college or what you did for a living until I think I asked you when you were over at my house a couple months ago. I finally just asked mm-hmm. you what you did, and then you explained the uh, the badge company thing to me. Uh, that that was the first time in our friendship that I was like really really clear about what you did for work. I had <laughs> I had a lot of different ideas about what I thought you did, but uh, that was a lot different than uh, than what I thought you did. Hey, uh, happy not to disappoint in that arena, I suppose. So you, so you had this. What is that? You had this narrative going on in your head, like I was some kind of Barney character from How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> not just quite. like uh, what, what does he? What does he do? Of, yeah, yeah. Like his, uh, as far as his job goes, not the womanizing, uh, horrible person part, but just the uh, the whole ambiguous job description thing. Yeah, kind of something like that. Like uh, I'd known that you had taught programming. Uh, and I know, like, for back in the the olden days when we first met, you said that you were a technical writer. Uh, and I'll be honest, I had no idea what that even meant. I, when you said that to me, I thought that you wrote instruction manuals for like industrial <laughs> building supplies or something. Oh yeah, hey, that's 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 literally what that is. I was looking for that job oh, for a really? while. Holy crap! Yeah. Man, you were looking for that job? Yeah. You were seeking a job like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Wow. <laughs> oh. See, that's why I like rehab. You just, you... Because you and I never would have come into contact with each other. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm just... Well, it, it. I think it kind of fits my personality. That someone just sends me a list of technical information. And I translate that into English for normal people to read. And that, that just that felt like the right thing for me at the time. Um, I think I could still do it. You know, I, I haven't exactly gotten dumber since then. <laughs> I'd probably have to bring my skills back up. But, yeah. I, I will say that with the college stuff, I didn't have any idea what you studied in college. But what you did do in college fits perfectly with my narrative of what you did (laughs) as far as like you just did the things and you just got this ambiguous degree which i can totally relate to i mean my first my college experience was exactly that i just i just threw my hands up in the in the air before i actually got the piece of paper Mm -hmm. and then my first job for six years that was the same experience for me where i was just an octopus that definitely resonates Mm -hmm. with me but I'm not surprised at all that you're the one that 
not only did it and you're the but you're also the first person to explain to me that there is a university studies degree <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all hey this uh this let me try to let me just try to explain what i'm thinking here the story that you've told us about switching majors and looking for jobs that i didn't even realize existed lots of and you mentioned yourself this these wild life experiences has uh has your direction in life the path you've been on has that ever been like a source of like like meaning for your life have you have you gained like personal strength or or a, a sense of identity to cling on to from from these uh your studies or your any any jobs or career paths you've started on um you know it's kind of hard to say um i haven't uh was it was it a clear really... question yeah i think i know what you're asking have i managed to derive meaning in my life from kind of the whole life search job school mm-hmm. thing uh, is that yeah. It? yeah like has that ever been like a quest for you to like so like i'll just explain it in terms of my life like i've always wanted to help people and that was like my quest was like how can i Mm. put myself in a position professionally to help people the most and i so i started out wanting to do physical therapy uh and then i switched from physical therapy to psychology and then uh and then kind of weaseled and waffled around within psychology to therapy to psychiatry and then back to now i'm back to like uh, mental health counseling that has been like for me a quest in my life to like attain this uh this academic and professional position where i can like provide something to people Mm. has that ever been uh, the case for you or can you relate to that in any way i think i can at a level that's for sure as a as a little kid i was always maybe this contributed to a lot of my life's problems too <laughs> <laughs> um, but as as a little kid i was a i was a pretty i don't know how to say it um kind of a bright kid mm-hmm. you know just like a just like a visibly bright kid and so i was always told by people so including including people in my family, including my teachers, other kids that you know whatever whatever you want to do with your life, you can just do it like any anything that you could want is something that you can get, and you know I kind of had a tough time with that, and i think I think there was there was some level at which I just was really hoping that I could just be told what to do and then and then go after that thing. And it's taken a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that really no one's no one's really going to do that, <laughs> or people can tell me what to do. But if but if they did, would I really be so satisfied with what they told me to do, with just doing what people say? And so I think that was that was a big shift for me when I just recognized, okay, well, I'm going to have to do this. Like I'm going to have to do it myself. Figure out figure out what it is that I really want out of my life. What do I want it to look like? what I want my relationships to look like, how do I want to interact with other people, with my family. I don't know. I guess I'm still I'm, I'm still on that search. You know, I haven't really settled on 
something that would be like the thing for me to do. You're still on the path. Um, You're still experiencing stuff on it, and oh, definitely, yeah. I do like I do like where I'm at right now. So I'll just make that clear. In case anyone from my work listens in, <laughs> I'm actually pretty happy with what's going on right now. I I um, like my job. <laughs> I like my coworkers. The environment I work in is a safe and hospitable place. Yes, yes, that's all. That's all actually true. Um, <laughs> I know I got a text from one of your coworkers telling me to say that. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I might as well just cover all the bases, right? I'm not giving medical advice. I'm not giving legal, legal advice. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please consult with your doctor before you consider going on philo- philosophical journeys about your life. Right. I guess that what's what's working for me is just trying to see maybe every day what is the best thing that I could do? like. What is the thing that I could do to reduce harm for the most people? Or to maybe to increase the enjoyment for the most people, and it's not like I always do that, you know. I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a distractible guy too. I can relate. Yeah, and so so. Anyways, that that journey is kind of distilled to that question: What is the thing that I could do to help the most people in the shortest amount of time? And kind of figuring out what that is, and I think that was part of my vision when I became an English major at first is because I didn't have any like illusions about maybe, maybe it should be delusions. I didn't have any delusions about uh, being like a fiction author and making a ton of money, but I did have the idea that, that people who write are people who reach people. Like if someone, if someone reads the work of a writer, then that work can change their heart or it can change the way they see something, or help them see something about their own life. And it's not even necessarily something that I did, other than me sharing my own personal experience through a work of fiction with another person. And then that that experience being relatable and reachable, and then them reading that. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my hope, is that eventually I will <laughs> I will get a work of fiction done that relays what i feel has helped me a lot in my life uh things that i feel are true truer than i could say in like a a literal sense i don't know i think that's i think that's what i like about fiction is that a lot of the time it's truer than it's truer than nonfiction in that way i mean it's so it's it's impossible to not i mean to not base it off of either emotionally or logically or, or experiences or, or the stories that are being told in some, in some way, something is being based off of an experience or something that's important to the writer, whether it's, you know, the writer bases, you know, the entire piece around, you know, a lesson that they feel is is extremely important to them or a lesson that they learned in their life that, that was, um, integral for them to learn you know, or, or some, there's some other truth, you know, to be found in there. So I can definitely resonate with that. While you were talking, the term human just kept popping into my mind. And uh, the way stories are told, especially in fiction and fantasy fiction, there you have characters that are displayed in, in such a way to, to make known their, their flaws and their weaknesses. 
and the journey or the story the book or the movie is about character facing a challenge that targets the, uh, a weakness like like hubris that's a classic one mm-hmm. J- for just one example but i think you're exactly right that uh fiction is many times truer than nonfiction in that sense that there's some un un it's it's kind of spoken but the this unspoken level of relatability between consumer the reader or viewer and the character which is mm-hmm. which is usually a, an extension of the author mm-hmm. and i just i think that's so i think that's so like beautiful and powerful that that we have that ability to like to make alliterations in that way and convey stories and messages and meaning in an inner in an entertaining way while still delivering mm-hmm. a meaningful beneficial message that might as you said touch somebody's heart yeah when i when i think of it i'm like well for the longest time the only way that humans could relate real experiences to each other was with stories not with not with anything else so so someone telling what they did with their life say someone did some legendary thing right they overcame a great challenge and by them overcoming that great challenge they brought other people with them to overcome that same great challenge and made it easier for everyone else after them and then that just gets distilled and you know at at the at the level that it's not really that important whether or not the the literal events happened or not but the the character's principles their guiding their guiding characteristics say their courage or their their ability to to bring peace to other people or joy or any of those things gets distilled into the person gets distilled into the character of that person to where they're not just their own self or they're not just the writer anymore they're everyone and i think that's what that's what makes it so relatable and that's what that's what's made religion such a big thing for for everyone for such a long time and and i'm saying this as a as a believer but there's there's a lot of things in religion that non-believers can find useful whether or not they believe and there's a lot of things in in my belief in in the things i'd say in my beliefs that you know it doesn't matter whether or not they're literally true i do know that if if i let those things guide my life that my life's going to turn out better and i know that because i've just done that for a long enough period of time to recognize that this is the effect they have on me whether or not that's true for everyone i know it's true for me that's actually kind of been the i related a lot to that and and with religious stuff some people kind of find um i've gotten reactions of kind of off-putting or some discomfort from that but i actually i'm very comfortable with that being an approach to take to you know personal spirituality or religious beliefs is there's a lot of days where I've just, you know, with, with my faiths, I'll just kind of think to myself, like, I haven't seen a ton of people like fully gung ho kind of followed some of these, some of these things that I see in front of me and had things go terribly for them as a direct consequence of, you know, these things, not, not something externally. 
So there's nothing wrong. Like There's not a whole lot wrong with me following them. And then based on experience, a lifetime of experience, I can, I can then back my own history and say like, yeah, things have gone pretty well. And so if I, if I, if that day, the only thing I can take is a logical approach, then even that logical approach is like, yeah, things are, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot of reason to go do something else. Does that kind of, does that kind of sound like what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. It really sounds a lot like it. I do know that uh, there are times in, in my spiritual journey that I've, that I've looked at my faith or looked at my beliefs or my organization as maybe a sort of crutch <laughs> that I would use to push myself through experiences or push myself through challenges. I think what it's helped me recognize about myself is that what I do actually matters. Like it doesn't, it, it might not, it might not look like it does. Um, this was this was especially true when I applied it to my recovery. That it doesn't. I, I had this mindset that okay, well, it's it's just me anyway. Like no one, no one really sees, and so I can indulge in I can indulge in my addictive behaviors, and no big deal because it's not going to affect anyone. It's not gonna it's not gonna be harmful to anyone, and no one's really going to know. And how, you know, maybe in a literal sense, it's true. Nobody. Nobody's going to know this is the process that I've been taking part in for a large part of my life. But people are going to know that their experience of me is missing something. And the part of me, there's, there, there's going to be a part of me that I hide from everyone. But there's going to be a part of me that might, that might be encouraging or joyful or, or at least relatable to be around that is going to be missing as long as I keep it away from everyone and, and, and bury it underneath all these bad feelings that I have toward myself or toward other people or toward, I don't know, the guy who cut me off or whatever. And I gain so much out of recognizing that what I do, what I do makes a difference to me and it makes a difference to anyone that I talk to. And I just think, you know, I'd heard it said that you might know, you might really know about a thousand people in your life. That seems to be kind of an average these days that you know about a thousand people over the course of your life really well, or at least fairly well. And if that's the average, that means that you're two steps away from knowing a million people. And you're three steps away from knowing a billion people or from having an influence on them. And so if I get to be a person that that influences some guy's life to be a little bit better, well, no matter what that is, then that person might end up passing that to a thousand people in his life. So every every little thing I make, and I don't have to look at myself like, oh well, I'm gonna cause all these problems if I make someone's life worse. But but if I can if I can be a good force, if I can be an uplifting force in someone's life, then gosh, why not? Why um, not indeed? If I if I see that it's the right thing to do, if it's something that I know is the right thing to do, whatever that is, you know, this this is this is where that whole philosophical journey thing <laughs> kind of comes through for me is that, okay, so if I see someone's life and maybe they're having a hard time, you know, I've had a hard time before. Like I, I get it. Maybe their hard time is not the same as my hard time, but I know what it's like to be in that place. And so if I can make their hard time less bad than I made my own, 
then you know that might that might really be something there. Gosh, I don't, I'm not even sure what what exactly I'm trying to say anymore. Just that's. Well, uh, sound like I think a that's freaking genius. So <laughs> keep going because this is gold content. Oh man, <laughs> that's just that's. I think that's what meaning is for me. Is that I can make well maybe that's what meaning is for everyone is that you make someone else's life better. This went from uh, from work to writing to philosophy really quickly but it kind of it gives an indicator on kind of where your where your own mind leads and kind of what's important to you on a just on a on an every interaction basis when you're interacting with the people that are around you um you mentioned that you may not have remembered kind of exactly when some of your um, opinions about writing may have shifted do you remember at all any times even if they weren't necessarily the the most pivotal moments, but times where there was a maybe kind of a shift or a pivot, you know, uh, this is your mindset right now. So I guess deeper into this mindset that you currently have, as far as this, yeah, this is kind of just kind of this philosophical stance and, and kind of this awareness of the people around you and the effect that you have around other people. So I would, I would want to say I was starting to kind of explore that direction 2016 or so. It's been about six years where I just kind of, I, I didn't realize that I was looking for meaning in my life. <laughs> Maybe I was just trying to find something to fill the void. You know, I, I was in, I was in the middle of, of uh, struggling with an addiction. I was trying to figure out, you know, life, life must not be <laughs> this all the time. Yeah. And I think that was the first part of my exploration is that I had recognized that I found, you know, I found great fantasy authors. So like the Brandon Sanderson's and maybe the Patrick Rothfuss's, you know, those guys, those guys are like the top of the top. Yeah, yeah, for me. I think that's, um, that's pretty universal, I think. Yeah, they're universally acclaimed. And they're, they're excellent writers. They've got very, very different styles and both, and both just amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really look at that as anything more than entertainment for probably the first four or five years after I was exposed to it. It wasn't until much later that I had recognized, okay, well, I'd been consuming a bunch of, well, let's just say I'd been consuming a bunch of pornography. That was not just entertainment in my life. That was, that was, uh, that was a destructive force. It was, it was messing up the way that I saw people. Mm-hmm. And then, if I if I read a word from from Rothfuss or Sanderson or any of many um, great writers, and you know, I I kind of journeyed into the classics too. So I read a lot of Dostoevsky and stuff. And oh, Dostoevsky, <laughs> man, he, that dude, that dude blew me that away. Awesome. He knew things <laughs> like he that the dude was a yeah. prophet. He predicted so yeah. much, and that was all just because he he wrote stories in in the world as he saw it, and he saw it clearly and he saw it properly. He was able to predict the way the world was going to go. Oh, hey, guess who's here? Nice, <laughs> a nice, a nice little surprise visit. Yep, yep. Oh, now she's rolling around and telling me about rolling. She's she's so adorable. I can't wait to 
get together with I know, I was just thinking with you guys in, in real life. Around and talking to you, I was like, that could be that could be just a female version of my two year old. They'd get along great. <laughs> nothing nothing would would uh make me more honored than being in laws with Brian. <sighs> Bro, can you imagine? <laughs> not that we're making plans no. or anything. I was gonna say, I've I was like, sworn I mean... not to do that for any of my kids because my mom was trying to marry me off, <laughs> just, like to everybody, and I just I didn't like it. So I promised mm. myself that I would never do that to my kids. That being said, <laughs> I was I was waiting for the butt. You ended the sentence in a tone of voice that indicated. <laughs> You're gonna set up yes. many playdates. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, playdates. Man, I hope so. I'm I'm very curious. A decade from now, what really? Because it's not like we can. Have, it's it's happening, and it's not necessarily anybody's fault. As far as the pandemic and and kids that were going to high school or kids that were going to school in general, just yeah, kids is general upbringing. If you know, if there's a lot of times in a lot of people's lives where three years because we're going on our third year of the pandemic now, that it's had, I mean, whatever people's opinion about it, it's had a great effect on a lot of people's lives. And if you were, if those three years were like your first three years in school or your last three years in public school, you know, um, in high school, I'm just really curious to kind of see what, what we see from that over the next, over the next few years afterwards, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just my my curious mind sure. just wants to see, after all the dust is settled and people take the time and and we're looking at the history of it many years down the road. It'll just be interesting to see like what what was all the data, you know what what was happening in all these different avenues of life. Mm-hmm. Let me see. I'll close up that last question real quick. Yeah. So if I if I'd been consuming this form of, of so so called entertainment. No resentment toward that whole industry or anything on my own personal, but it was it was definitely destructive and for for myself at least, and it really it really messed up the way that I saw people, and that was what I had seen for a long time as a form of entertainment. If I was to look through and think of entertaining experiences for me that were not so destructive things that were uplifting or encouraging for me. Um, that was when kind of my perspective or kind of my opinions a shift had had shifted a little bit on writing um, and on and on reading. Like just recognizing that that what I consume, you know, my 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 habits become my standards there. So I just can't <laughs> I can't let myself have habits that aren't useful anymore. And I find consuming fiction, fantasy, to not be a problem. <laughs> because it does encourage me. It does uplift me. And it helps me be a more relatable person for other people. Oh, man, I just love everything you've said. I'm a big, like a big, big fan of the hero's journey. I think there's something so like primordially human about the hero's journey. On like an individual level. There's things that happen in our lives that that we view as hard that other people might not think that our life is hard. But you know, one thing that one thing that my wife tries to teach me a lot is that uh other people's hard is different than my hard. Um <laughs> I I tend to be a pretty 
critical person of of things that I view as weak, and I absolutely own the fact that that stems from an internal critique of um, parts of myself that I view as weak, and uh, I do a really good job of turning that out on other people as well. But the the beauty of the hero's journey and the the really relatable thing that I think about the hero's journey is that the hero is everyone and the journey is everything that we as a, a race and a species and a society go through that challenges us. You know, at the end of the story, the hero is different. The, the character is different somehow. They've refined themselves through the the journey, through the quest or adventure that has changed them. And, and like you said, Stephen, they, they oftentimes bring others with them on the journey or that change is distilled in them and is able to be passed to other people after the fact. It just, it's so hopeful that uh, everybody has their own hero's journey. And mine is different from both of yours, but that doesn't make it any less heroic. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, I guess that's what I'm working on right now, is the things that I, I get to do in my life to emulate the archetypal hero, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like archetypal heroes. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there any other kind of pockets or, or or kind of these dives into philosophy or, or maybe the taking the question from the other side from any other dives into stuff like this in the past uh, are there any other life lessons that are important to you that you kind of apply yourself as far as your interactions with others your take on knowledge uh, your take on family um, anything like that has anything else been impressed upon you um, or you've kind of seen around you and, and really resonated with and kind of grabbed onto over the last few years? You know, I really love seeing someone at the top of their own game. Like no matter, no matter what that happens to be, that's just, I don't know how to say that. It's like a gosh, inspiring. What's even the word for that? It's inspiring. It's like, it, it's inspiring, but it's like the pinnacle of inspiring. So if I see someone doing something great, I think that's, I mean, I think that's why people do sports at all, <laughs> is to, like, I, I, if you look at a game, you, you might think that football or that MMA, even MMA is, is a cooperative game. It's not, I mean, it's competitive, but it's cooperative more than anything else. Because at the beginning, there's a set of rules that all participants agree to abide by for the course of the game. Within those within those rules, how far can you push each other to be great is how I've started to see games like that. Um, and that's kind of how I see, that's how I see people who play video games for competition. Um, they're just, they're, they're making a set of rules. They make a new set of rules. And within within those rules, what is the upper limit of what a person can do? And I think that's I think that's just beautiful. And I think that's something that's even though it's not directly applicable a lot of the time, like, okay, well I'm gonna get 
I'm gonna I'm gonna get better as a competition shooter. I'd really love to get better as a competition shooter. Don't get me wrong. I just don't see how being a better shooter is necessarily going to make me a better person. But it will <laughs> because I'll I'll have a set of rules that I've agreed to that I've pushed myself to. And while working within those rules and within those boundaries, how far can I push myself in real life to be great, to be great at whatever it is? That's, I think that's the main, one of the main things that people learn when they play games, whatever game, any game. So I, I guess that's one. Wow. And it, it doesn't even, it doesn't even need to be a game game. It might just be them in their element, in their art, just doing, just doing something amazing. Yeah, I think there is like a natural, um, I've had the experience many times and, and I think it is a, just a human thing to be able to, something that may have no personal interest to me. Uh, some of, maybe some of the artistic spaces, maybe some forms of dance or, you know, some type of game related thing. Uh, there's a lot of sports that I don't have a personal interest in, but with a couple questions and, and answers and, and a couple minutes of watching and having something explained to me, I can understand enough about what is going on to appreciate somebody at the top or somebody that is just um, kind of like you were saying at the, at the pinnacle of what can be achieved kind of in this space. And especially, you know, we're all kind of working with the human brain and the human body. And so there's just this level of respect that I feel like we can just appreciate in other people who have taken this like very acute thing in the world and the the mind and the body and and they've just gone as far in a certain direction as they can possibly go um, against a bunch of other people or not even necessarily all the time but yeah just just taking it and just going f <laughs> just taking it to the moon. And yeah, there's just there's just respect there. I mean, I think that's why you know uh, something like the Olympic Games or other such things. Uh, there are I don't have an interest in really any of those sports, mm -hmm. but there is an impressiveness to just like I can't not respect some of the things that I see on there um, when I do tune in because I can ask somebody two questions and then I, after I understand enough about the sport, I'm like, oh that that person just spent a good portion of their life learning how to do that thing that they just did. And they did it perfectly. So, yeah. And, and that can be, you know, anything with the, you know, any of these art fields, anything. It's just impressive mm. to see somebody apply themselves like that. Or, you know, on a smaller level, uh, getting to know somebody a little bit deep on a deeper level. And you see that, you know, maybe they're taking care of a family or they're, they're dealing with things that I might find extremely stressful to do and very overwhelming. And you see them just excelling at it and dealing with these problems and just punching through and like you were saying just on their on their game and there's a there's a respect there that doesn't have anything to do with me i'm just i'm just witnessing something and it's in a way it's kind of a small gift to me that i just get to witness it for or for half a second that's that's one way that i would explain it for my own experiences do you guys cry at the olympics because i do like not like full-on like sobbing tears crying but <laughs> Just exactly not like rom com, like uh, no. you know, no, not like Oscar worthy, you know, performance crying. Like Ryan Reynolds is proposing <laughs> at the end, you know. Yeah, no, not like, 
not like tears streaming down my face or anything, but like I get misty eyed at the Olympics, especially, especially when the athlete nails their performance. Like, and you, and like everybody feels it. The the mm-hmm. crowd that's there feels it. The athlete absolutely feels it. And they just, and they're just like over the moon that they can, they just feel that they nailed it and the crowd knows it and the judges know it. And like, I know it, I'm sitting on the couch like that, that gets, that gets me teary eyed. Like I get misty eyed at that stuff. Um, at, uh, at Desert Solace, um, we, we volunteered a lot at the, the races around town in St. George. I've got a closet full of shirts from <laughs> 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons and all the other things that people have trained for and raced for. And there's, there's something about the Ironman. Did either of you get to volunteer at an Ironman? No. I the didn't. timing of our stay was uh, didn't line up with any uh, most of the outdoor activities mm-hmm. that were going on in St. George. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems about right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had we had a marathon and a half marathon. Gotcha. Yeah, there, there's just, there was just something about the Ironman specifically that like when we got to spend time around the finish line and the Snow Canyon half marathon. Actually, I'm going to talk, yeah, the Snow Canyon Half Marathon. Most of the time that we volunteered at these races, we were handing out water somewhere on the track. And so people were rude to us. They were tired, exhausted, uh, pushing their bodies beyond limits. And they would just, they'd grab the water, like splash it on themselves or, and splash it on us and then throw it on the ground. Throw, like throw the cup on the ground and we have to pick it up. But at the Snow Canyon Marathon, we got picked to hand the medals to the people like 20 yards after the finish line. That that was like so cool to see because uh, half marathons, a, it's not like a super, what some would call an ultra distance, but it's 13 miles, man. That's farther than I, that, that's farther than I ever <laughs> want to run. <laughs> it's plenty far. No worries. It's plenty. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's certainly <laughs> past the point of any, like, the, such so rare it is that a person that can go do that without conscious, like, training right. beforehand. So like right. nobody, like almost nobody is out there without, like, you know, everybody out there has had an experience for the past couple of weeks or the past couple of months to working prepare for, for this. It. Right. Yeah, working for it. Right. It's. It's not like a flat race. There's a lot of hills in that area. And so it's like a hard run. And these people who've been working for this, mm-hmm. this is like a big goal for a lot of people. They come through with like tears in their eyes and they're like, you can see their, their eyes are bloodshot and they're just like, they're just like beyond themselves. You know, they're like, they've just had an experience like beyond anything that they've ever done. And we got to be there and like, the person, the medal for achieving the accomplishment, that was so cool and uplifting. And our our friend Antonio actually ran that race and we got to hand him a medal. And that was like, that was just such like, 
like you said, the pinnacle of of inspiring experiences. And and the Iron Man was the same way. Just the St. George Iron Man is famous for being nearly or more difficult than the uh, Hawaiian Iron Man. The amount of training and preparation, physically and mentally, to do that on a level that I never want to get to. <laughs> the the feeling of accomplishment and like the like the the status of being an iron man after finishing that race was you can see it on their faces and like that was that's i think that's what you were talking about like at the top of their game it's like there's like a different level of energy there it's like the achievement and the accomplishment is like so powerful that you've trained your body to to like break boundaries and like do it i it just i'm having trouble like explaining explaining what i felt even but like it's it was so powerful to see the, these athletes run these finish these races that like i i felt like i got a little vicarious taste of what it was like to to also do it mm-hmm. and it's just like you guys were saying the that it's not directly applicable to anything that i that i'm doing or want to do in my life but that 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 sense of achievement and that the mindset of leading up to attaining that goal is inspiring and it is something that i can take into my life mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's just magical like I don't know of another way to say it. it. It was just a magical time. We uh we talked about goals a little bit in the last episode, but I um on that note as far as marathons and and half marathons, um one of the things that always kind of stands out to me is the s- stuff like that. It it's done because of all the uh the saying is, is like all the quiet moments lead up to the to the big moment. And so like you've gone and done the race, but, but you were able to do that because of all these like quiet times where maybe somebody, people were there to motivate you and maybe out accountability partners, but you had to go and, and do these runs at whatever times in the day when you didn't want to. And when certainly not a lot of people would have cared if you didn't go, but externally what most people see is like maybe your friend, you're just talking to them and they're, they're just doing their thing. And then all of a sudden they go and do this race and all you see is the single run that they do. And it's a super cool experience. And, but their experience is much different. They had to go do this stuff, but you didn't get to witness all of that. The first job I had, I mentioned, I was there for several, I was there for several years. It was at a gym and it was, it was, um, one of the surprising kind of benefits of being there is we were witnesses to all of these quiet personal training sessions leading up to events like this where these people would come in, maybe not even knowing that they were going to go for something um, as specific as like, I'm going to go participate in this event um, or something like that. But we got to watch them like day by day, just like walk in and just, I don't know. They just walk in, they wouldn't talk and they would just, they would just sit there every night, hood on, just running. I remember one of the times um, this guy, he, he walked in and just to, I mean, I don't want to, like, just a stereotypical, like, middle-aged, maybe, like, bald, like, pot-belly dad 
dude. Like just not like he's just he just wasn't in shape. Didn't want to be there. And he just came in, but he kept coming in. And that we were talking about kind of gym attendance at the beginning of each year. He came at the beginning of the year. Honestly, we didn't think we were gonna see him too much. He just kept coming. A couple weeks in, he just he just makes a he's never talked to any of us. He just checks in, we say hi, he doesn't say anything, he walks into the gym. And he walks out one day at like nine PM and we don't we don't ask him or anything. We just say have a good night and he just kinda mumbles something and we kinda ask him what you know what he said. And he said he finished his first mile without stopping. And we're like, Oh, that's like super dope. Like sweet, man. That's awesome. And and that's all he said. And he walked out the door. Six months later, this guy's participating in one of those mud runs on the, on the gym. Like we have a, the gym had a team that if you wanted to, like you could join the, the team that the gym puts together and sponsors. And he joined the gym's team and he goes and join and he goes and does this mud run with a lot of our personal trainers and a lot of, a lot of like the super active, like been there for a couple of years, like members. And it was such a, like a weirdly personal experience to like watch this guy on a nightly, on a daily basis, literally a nightly basis. He came in every day, like 9 PM and just trained for it. Um, and then only like the last month did he get connected with the gym, get connected with the team members. And he's starting to be like social with, with everybody else. That was only, that wasn't even a fifth of his like attendance there. Um, weird experience, but I was, I mean, it was amazing. Um, but there's not, there's not really a way that I can explain it. And besides just, yeah, just explaining kind of everything that happened. It was just, it was cool to see. And just the epitome of nobody, nobody was supporting him. I'd like to think that he has a very supportive family. <laughs> yeah. yeah mm. That's it. That was, that was his hero's journey, man. Yeah. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see. And I mean, all of us, it was a gift. I mean, it was a gift to us truly mm-hmm. to be able to experience that. And he, he still never talked to us at the front desk. <laughs> and and like the salespeople or or the uh, like everybody else except for some of the trainers that he connected with and so kind of like you were talking about steven as far as the effect that you in reality have on people even though you just think it's it's just you he just came he was just doing his thing but he had an effect on us and then you know here i am several years down the road still you know wildly impressed by this and and telling it to more people and so he had a ripple effect whether he had any intention to or not Right. So now, you know, the ripples hit us. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. And this guy might not have known that you were watching the whole time. Either. <laughs> no, I mean, he didn't. And honestly, we weren't until he just, he just kind of said something. I mean, it was, and maybe like the impression I got, and again, I hope this isn't the case because, because it, it would be a, an unfortunate thing, but it, he kind of said it in a way when he was talking about his first mile, like he didn't, he didn't really have anybody else to tell. But it was so important to him. Mm-hmm. He just he just wanted to like say it out loud, almost to himself, to just like recognize to himself like he did this, he did a thing that he actually went for. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's you know that's me making a lot of stories um, for him that I don't I don't need to I don't need to make. But either way, when he said that was really the first time that we started to kind of notice every time he would come into the gym. So very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Then at, at the very end, you know, some of us were there just uh, just watching because we were there to support everybody at the, on the gym's team and watching that guy cross the finish line, having ex- experienced it with him for the past six months, it was, I was sit, like, this guy doesn't even know who I am. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> <laughs> right. 
feels very anime. Yeah, know? and it, yeah, and it doesn't have anything to do. I, in a way, like I appreciate it so much because it doesn't have anything to do with me. Like it is one hundred percent solely like just a, just a joy for another person, in their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a few notes that I wanted to get to. Stephen just blew through all of them within the first forty-five minutes of this. Of this no right. you did, you did. <laughs> uh, I had look for questions to ask about deeper meaning, uh, and you just dove right into that when you started talking about writing. And then at the very end, the very bottom note that I had written to make sure to ask was uh, your thoughts on how we can make the world a better place, and you just rolled right into that one as well uh, <laughs> when you talked about you know. Um, being encouraging and uh and oh, if you said it better i'm gonna botch this probably but uh you know just showing up as your your full true self as a as a force for good in somebody's life and and, and yeah just just spreading your goodness to to people that you see i i was honestly happy i uh Looked at the time. It was about like forty-eight minutes, and I was just—I was completely happy with with the whole episode. I could have just cut it off nice. there and had a and been happy with it. But uh, I am really glad that we kept going because there's been a lot of just absolute treasures in here. I think. I didn't think you sounded that bad. Oh, well, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, is there is there anything else? That you want to just say for the record? Um, sure. Maybe, maybe for the record, because if I, well, I, there's one thing I can think of that if I don't say it, then I might regret not saying. Do you have it. more disclaimers or something um, for your business? <laughs> oh, hey, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> so, gosh, I guess the thing just flipped on the switch in my head flipped on when Brian said his last note was what, what you can do to make the world a better place. And uh, I just, I remember, I remember one time that I was at Desert Solace, I was playing pickleball. The, the whole, the whole team was out playing pickleball together. And um, a girl shows up from Dixie State who's just doing like a photo project, like a, like a photo collage of, you know, take photos of locals and kind of ask them things and and I was asked by her you know what do I I can't remember what the exact question was but it was something about like what to what to fix about the world or or what what problems there are and and I just I thought to myself and I ended up saying this is that I've got enough problems in my own personal life that I'm not super worried about the world itself at the moment like <laughs> my own life has has enough things to fix right now um, and maybe, you know, maybe if you asked me that in, in a few years when my life is a little more worked out, um, I might have, I might have something to say. And she was like, well, I've never heard anyone say anything like that before because I guess everyone, even in St. George, everyone's got to complain about something big. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's not like I have nothing to complain about. Um, that's going on in the in the greater sphere of of what's going on, but but what does what does that really do for me? 
complaining about the world. And so maybe what I think to myself is, so, well, what's important to me? Maybe, maybe having a good family dinner is important to me. That's nice. Getting everyone together to actually sit down, enjoy each other for a little bit, and and have a real conversation and be a be a family. Whatever a normal family looks like, I have no idea. But really, just to get everyone together. So if I do that every day, um, let's say, okay, well, if I do whatever it is every day to make dinner, whatever dinner is, as great as it could possibly be, every night, contribute my my best to that moment every day. You know, say dinner lasts for 30 minutes to an hour, maybe even less. That's still, what, 4 to 5 to 6% of my waking time I spend every single day? Gosh, if I could make dinner great and solve 5% of my life, like, <laughs> how amazing that would be. And so I just think to myself, what can I straighten out? What can I make better about my own personal life? If I can straighten out my own personal life, then maybe maybe I can just be that that beacon for someone else. You know, I don't have to think about being a beacon. Um, I think that's a maybe that's a little hubris going on right there. Maybe it's a little arrogant to think of myself as a beacon, but that's not what I do it for. You know, I do it because I want I want my family to be together. I want my marriage to work out, and I don't know. That's that's kind of a that's kind of a podge coming out right there, but uh, yeah, what 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 do I do every day? What can I do to make what I do every day the best of whatever that thing is? That'll show up in the world if everyone made if like <laughs> how cool would the world be if everyone had an awesome experience every night at dinner, like. <laughs> Would they would they be such a crank every day? You never know. Maybe they might be, but maybe they wouldn't. Well, Stephen, tonight especially, but always, uh, you've you have been a beacon for me. I've I've always seen you as uh, someone who's got their head on straight and and is not afraid to uh, to look within yourself to see what's what's going on within you that's that's getting in the way of of you outside of you and uh i've i've always found you incredibly inspiring and insightful and wise i've been really looking forward to having you on the show for a long long time and i just thanks thanks for coming man hey i, I seriously appreciate this um, i was really glad to come on i had a great time in this conversation we have a recently acquired tradition on the show and I want to end. I want to end the show off by asking you uh, one more question, and I want you to give me your just like your best and kind of fastest like reflexive response um, to this question. Oh boy, I'm not really a reflexive person. <laughs> I know that's why it makes it all the more entertaining. Um, okay. So we uh, we have a book that uh, we got off of Amazon a few a few months back, and. Uh, it just has some of the dumbest questions in the book. Most of them extremely frustrating. Oh, Only like a fifth of the book can actually be asked with a straight face. <laughs> but uh, my question for you, uh, Stephen, tonight before we end things off, can you be busy waiting? Mm. 
Yeah, I would say I would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's not a useful thing to be busy waiting. It's like saying, uh, sorry guys, I can't come to the party tonight. I gotta go home and watch the news. Yeah, that's a very good that's a very good example. And if somebody said that to me, I'd be very mad. <laughs> it's like a seriously insulting thing. But, you know, maybe, I don't know. It might not be for everyone, but it sounds like an insulting thing. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If I if I go to the grocery store and just look in the line at everyone, it's like, well, some people can be pretty busy. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight, Stephen. Yeah, I appreciate you having on the on kind of joining us on the show tonight and just having a conversation with us and kind of sharing some of the things that are important to you and some of the things that are going on in your life. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I was happy to come on. I've I've got this uh, I've got this little stress moment in me that's like, oh man, what the heck did I say? Um. <laughs> All good things. Oh, that's all right. If there was anything we'll embarrassing, I accentuated in the post. So perfect. <laughs> perfect i didn't know that jordan was the hero that we all needed oh yeah that's gonna change as soon as as soon as possible but uh (laughs) sweet brian you want to close us out all right uh thanks everybody for listening uh this episode i hope i hope you felt something this episode because i certainly did please please share this with somebody anybody i feel very strongly about the this episode specifically I think everybody should hear this. Again, I just want to say thanks to Steven. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, just remember, don't believe anything we say.